Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts. Simply hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts now. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Trust is one of the most important qualities you want. Managing your finances is very important to you. So you've got to trust your advisor. That is a quote from the aptly named Money Cookbook by Dunedin's answer to Bernie Madoff, Mr. Barry Clue. This episode, we see the scales fall from the eyes of his investors as they start to unravel just how little value Barry Clue places in that word. Trust. A shadow dark upon the wall The moon slow and stretching tall And up to the mountains her gaze is last two episodes, we heard the stories of many of the victims as it led up to the day the serious fraud office raided authorised financial advisor Barry Clues Dunedin offices. But before we pick up where we left off with those stories, there is one more story I want to tell you. My mum was from Yorkshire, my dad was from Lancashire and I was born in um, Southport. And we moved out in 1966 to uh, come to New Zealand. Uh, It was on a bet that my mother had made with a friend of hers. And I remember on the ship at Southampton, mum turning to dad and saying, we've done the wrong thing. That's Gary and his very unique origin story. Gary and his wife, Mary, had met Barry Back in 1989, so they've known Barry for around 30 years. A long time, but not quite as long as they'd been married. I've been married to Mary for 47 years. 
I've worked for the same company for nearly 50 years, and I retired, what, be four years ago. I started work in 1967, and I think we had a two-year break in the middle of it where Mary and I went as a a married couple on a big sheep station, and uh, it didn't work out that well. Now, as a vegetarian and card-holding city slicker, I can completely get why sheep farming might not have been their calling. So Gary finds himself back in Dunedin working at the printing company again. And come 1989, Gary and Mary had almost paid off their mortgage on their home and even had a little extra money to start investing. And that's when they came across Barry Clue. And we outlaid what we would like in the future. And basically, it was to save for our retirement, go away on a holiday occasionally, nothing extravagant, maybe a couple of weeks in Australia, this and the other, uh, and update our car every so often. So that was the plan. I also stressed to him that my parents had been caught out in a scam and they lost all of their savings. So I said, I don't want to go through what they went through. And he assured us that we're investing in companies spread over quite a different number of fields. So we felt quite confident that what we were doing was correct. I'd done a little research into the company. At the end of that, I felt quite confident in what we were doing. It's only with hindsight we now know that Barry's assurances were, in fact, completely worthless. But there was, of course, no way Gary and Mary could know that at the time. And so they trusted him with their hard-earned savings. I'd say... The very first sum we put in maybe around about 20000 I think, and that was all of our savings. And it went into places like AMP, Heartland Bank, very well-known organizations, and we entered into a discovery portfolio. At that stage, we were able to afford to put away $1,000 every month out of our savings, and of that we had to budget to make sure that money went away. Our $1,000 that we put it every month, that would go directly from our bank to Discovery Portfolio. Then it became Concilium. To refresh your memories, Discovery Portfolio and Concilium are the names of the online investment wrap platforms that allowed financial advisors to have all of the client's assets visible in one place, an online ledger. So Gary and Mary's story, to this point, it's very similar to so many of the victims of Barry Clue. Except it does have an added sting in the tail. I got diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2014. Unfortunately, it was quite an aggressive one. And I had a radical prostatectomy, which was followed by seven weeks of radiotherapy, which worked in the first instance. We thought we'd cleared everything up, but 18 months later, it it came back again. I had a further course of radiation, and they'd found that it had actually gone to my lungs, and I had part of a lung removed, and, and then after the operation, we found out that it still hadn't got rid of it. So currently, I'm on hormone treatment, and basically, I'll be on the hormone treatment for the rest of my life. So we really live from three months to three months. I get a blood test and another round of treatment every three months. So we just hope and pray at the end of every three months that everything is still okay. So it's a bit of a tricky time for us. Over the years, their savings pot was growing. Well, according to Barry's statements, at least. 
and every now and then they would contact him to access a lump sum of money to update their car or, you know, go on holiday. And I'm a natural born worrier and I'm always worried that am I spending too much? And he always reassured me, but no, so the way you're saving, you'll have a you'll have a good nest egg when you retire. According to Gary, getting access to the lump sums through Barry over the years was plain sailing. He would request the money, do a bit of paperwork and bish bosh bash, the money would appear in their bank account in a timely fashion. Apart from the very last one. And here comes that sting in the tail. When I had to have my lung operation, we could afford private insurance. Gary was to have the operation at Mercy Hospital, one of a handful of private hospitals in the region. But there was a delta between the operation and his Southern Cross insurance policy. And that delta was $10,000. And I contacted Barry and I said, can I take 10000 And, you know, he felt sorry for me and all this sort of stuff. And he says, yeah, no problems whatsoever. And I went in for the operation and I came out about a week later and the money wasn't there. And uh, so I rang Barry up and he said, he says, oh, yeah, so I'm just getting the office staff to, to draw down the money. It should be there tomorrow. And he said, we must catch up and have a meal. So no worries. No worries was about to turn into all worries. Because that phone call might very possibly have been one of the last calls that Barry would take before this. Oh my God, have you seen the news? Barry Clues been arrested. Can't be true. There must be a mistake. My heart just sunk. I could just about feel my legs go from under me. Phones, emails, Facebook, Twitter, all over Dunedin started blowing up as Mike Houlihan's article in the Otago Daily Times did the rounds. It read, Clue family devastated by SFO raid. Well, they weren't going to be the only ones. It goes on to say, the SFO executed search warrants in Dunedin on Thursday as part of an investigation conducted by the Financial Markets Authority. No charges have been laid against Barry Clue, but the FMA has said it was working to secure and preserve client funds. The number of people affected by the Breathe financial planning situation is unknown, nor has the Serious Fraud Office divulged how much money might be involved. However, the Serious Fraud Office is able to investigate only allegations of serious or complex fraud. The SFO has not clarified which of Barry Clue's business enterprises are subject to its inquiries. The raid has left investors nervously waiting for news of their finances and dismayed that they had heard nothing from the serious fraud office. We just felt alone and lost and trapped because we couldn't find anything out. The serious fraud office wouldn't say anything. The FMA were the same. We had nobody to contact. And the timing couldn't have been worse. Remember, it was a few days after Gary had made that phone call to Barry Clue asking where his $10,000 was to pay for the operation that he had already had. Was it possible that Barry could have stolen from them all of their investment portfolio and left them with an additional debt of $10,000? Reading the article, Gary had no way of making head nor tails of it. Neither did any of the other investors. Here's Francis. I was in the shower actually and my husband come in with the newspaper and he was waving it at me. I could tell he wasn't happy so I quickly got out of the shower and he had it on the bench and I could just about feel my legs go from under me. I just felt 
so shattered. Total shock. Yeah, I think that's uh, the worst shock I've felt. It was just terrible. And both of us, we just couldn't believe it. And remember bursting into tears, all your dreams, everything just taken from you just in one moment. Yeah, that day etched in our minds. We didn't sleep and that night it was just, I thought, how am I even going to pay a power bill? Because you couldn't think past what had happened. You couldn't think how you're going to manage. And you're trying to get into his head of how could he do this? Why did he do it? But the reality is he's just a thief. He's just stole people's money and I was trying to reason how somebody could possibly do this. It is so hard to comprehend what would make somebody able to do this. Here's Dr Das to shed some light on it. I think all con artists have a lack of empathy but I think some people like this guy Barry Clue must have an extra layer of decreased ability to feel empathy if they commit these cons to people that they actually know personally. Mm. I suppose the other thing is denial to a degree. It's quite a complicated one because when I say denial, they know what they're doing is wrong. That's unquestionable. But I think possibly, especially in a Ponzi scheme, they might believe that they can somehow make it back miraculously, even though that doesn't make sense to us. Like a gambler would be a perfect example of this. Somebody who, despite the fact that they've lost money over and over again, they're convinced they just need to make one or a couple of good bets and they'll, they'll win it all back. So I think... Some con artists, some con artists just don't care and they're, they're, they just want to mm. run off the money. But I think some, especially people like this guy, especially if they're in a Ponzi scheme, probably to a degree, even though deep down they know it's not going to happen, part of them lives with this hope that somehow they'll turn it around and be able to get everyone's money back. In the immediate aftermath of the article release, the investors had only the sparsest of breadcrumbs to go on. They didn't even know if or how they were affected. But you're just looking for answers and you didn't know anybody else involved. You had no idea who else was affected. So you're on your own and it was just isolating. It was dreadful. Talked to my partner about it. I went for a long walk, actually. And that could have been a, that could have been not good, such a good idea because I was thinking, you know, can't trust Barry, can't trust, who can I trust? I couldn't trust. No way. My sister texted me and she said, oh, my God, have you seen the news? Barry Clue's been arrested. I said, you've got to be joking me. And I went online. I was absolutely shell-shocked. My heart just sunk. Disbelief, anger. What are we going to do? What does this mean? Yeah, I was in a cafe with a friend and I didn't actually believe it. And it was saying that his place had been checked out by the police. And it just seemed totally in a different realm. And I remember thinking, ah, I think I'm here for coffee. Let's continue on with the coffee and cake. And we just went on with it. I don't think I believed it, that it could come to anything major. Or I think I thought that it would only end up being a scare. So uh, I was at a meeting. We're all sat around a table. I've got my colleague at the side of me. For some reason, she was on a mobile phone. And in fact, I'd just told her a year before, you know what, you probably ought to have a word with old Baz and just just a bit of advice on what you're doing with your money and where to put it, this, that and the other. So she knew that I invested with him. Anyway, we sat there and I can remember and she just went, yeah, she said, you better have a look at this. And she handed me the phone in this meeting. Fuck. And it was the day that the SFO had raided his offices. So it's headline, Barry Clue, and I just read it and I don't know, I didn't think anything. I just went blank. 
and I remember saying to Nolan, oh, somebody's got raided in Dunedin, I hope it's not Barry Clue, in a flippant sort of way, and we said, nah, and it was Barry Clue, and we were just absolutely shell-shocked, and I remember thinking, if he's been shut down and raided by the serious ward office, we'll still be okay, because I've known him for years, and he will have looked after us, and I'm sure that the investment side of everybody's portfolios will be okay because I've got a statement saying I've got all this money. He felt quite sick about it. I remember ringing our lawyer and she was absolutely shell-shocked as well and she couldn't believe it. And she said, look, it's late. It was 6 o'clock in the evening. She said, surely you'll be okay. She'd known Barry. So we had to go to bed and sleep on it. You just didn't know where to turn and you felt very alone. You thought this was just you. And as soon as we read it, we knew that we wouldn't get any money back, even though it didn't say that all the money was gone. But it was that feeling of, this is it, it's all gone. If you're enjoying Clueless The Long Con, then check out other podcasts by Community Podcast Productions, like this one. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We got the notification that there'd been an SCFO raid in this business that we'd never heard of. It was just something that quite under the radar. It was complete shit. It was complete bullshit the way he operated. It was just a sort of house of cards. It was just an utterly deplorable person with no real convictions, and he just basically rapes people of their money. He's an awful person. That's staff reporter Hamish McNally, who certainly has a way with words, which you would expect for a reporter. Now, as this story hit the headlines, the victims were struggling to piece together what had happened. The case was so large that nobody was getting answers anytime soon. Even the understanding of how Barry Clue got caught was pretty light on detail. Here's Otago Daily Times reporter Mike Houlihan. That was how he ended up being caught, because the accountancy firm 
looking at the numbers that his firm was allegedly turning over and the profit margin it was making and looking at the lifestyle Barry was leading and went that something doesn't add up here and they had a look at some documents and determined that they weren't real, they were fraudulent and then alerted the authorities and that's how the investigation started from there. The raid on Barry Clue's office happened in the May of 2019 but rumour had it, it was months in the planning. Here's Gary. From what I can gather, it was either October or November of the year before they actually picked Barry Clue up. Talking of planning, it takes me back to a question I pondered at the beginning of the series. Just how premeditated are fraudsters like Barry? Definitely one for Dr Das. So whether or not it was premeditated, it's hard to know. Is there any way that you can tell whether... Some crimes like that are premeditated. This is going a bit left field here. I think that these kind of crimes, so types of frauds that have been committed repeatedly over a long period of time, neither premeditated or impulsive. I think there's somewhere in between, which is you either by creation or accident get a, get away with a small, tiny bit of fraud. And then mm-hmm. it doesn't come back to you. You don't get caught. And then you right. think, well, that was only a little bit. That was only you know 10 bucks. And then you might do it again. And again, and then you increase it a little bit and then you do it again and again and again. And I think it snowballs Uh, over time. You become more confident in yourself because Mm -hmm. nobody's picking you up on this. And and in the case of someone like Barry Clue, the auditors are missing it. Other people that I'm working with are missing it. People seem to trust me. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's like an evil sort of rubbing your hands decision that I'm going to rip all these people off one day. It's almost like they're grooming themselves. It's a gradual increase of, well, I got away with this. Well, that person doesn't really seem to mind. And I'm not in any way trying to decrease their responsibility, but I think they don't have the same obvious flood of guilt that you or I might expect. I think that over time they get away with it more and more and more. And they care a bit less over time about the consequences and they excuse their own guilt over time, I think. Like an incremental criminal, just exactly, yeah, yeah, little steps. This thing is right. If you think about it, if you were in Barry's shoes and if you'd got away with it for decades, literally decades, then yeah, there's no reason to worry, really, is there? Well, over the decades, I think it's pretty fair to say that if Barry was worried, nobody ever clocked it. Now, I want to remind you of Adrian and Kim's story from episode three. Remember this. Bradley's our youngest child and he has fragile X syndrome and intellectual disability. We didn't want him ending up in an institute. If something happened to us, we can't bear the thought. It just would destroy him. You may recall that they'd invested Bradley's government support money with Barry and kept investing with him over the years. At the time of the raid, they didn't just have money with Barry. They also had thousands of dollars worth of equipment, including their house bus, sitting on Barry Clue's property in Alexandra. Because right up until the raid, Adrian was working for Barry. Kim had been home alone when she received the news about Barry. Adrian was out having what he liked to call Thirsty Thursday. He returned home about nine o'clock and was pickling in bed whilst Kim was stewing beside him cooking up a plan. Later on in the middle of the night when I woke up, Kim said, I've got to talk to you now. And she told me what had happened and we sat there at one o'clock in the morning thinking, what the hell are we going to do? So she says, right, we've got to go. We're going to get our gear out of there. So midnight, we're off up to Alex. And I think we were there about four o'clock in the morning and just packed everything we had. Just that morning, we were sitting there having a coffee. and We and were thinking we might be breaking the law. The message <laughs> was for any people that thought they were affected to contact the SFO. So that's what I did do. I rang them and I said, oh, 
just seen this article in the paper um, sitting here having breakfast on Barry Clue's property in Alexandra and they said what property and I said oh my husband works here he's been working here for the last 18 months or so they didn't know a lot about that property at the time so that weekend was really about trying to work out what had gone on yeah disbelief that he could be involved in that when I first found out I couldn't believe it but I did have a niggling feeling that we've lost everything I couldn't believe that he would do it but you know, when serious fraud people get involved, there's a big problem. So I thought, we've lost our money. That's what Adrian thought, but he really didn't know if all or even any of his $152,000 invested with Barry was safe. And the other investors were all in the same boat. I mean, can you imagine not knowing whether your entire life savings has been stolen out from underneath you? And by the time that you've found out, it's out of business hours. So you've got no hope of getting any answers. And that night, you have to sleep on it. So that was a bit of a restless night, more than a restless night. We had a sleepless night. And the next day was a Friday. and We really didn't get very far. I remember ringing the FMA, the Financial Markets Authority. Got short shift from the lady on the phone there who absolutely didn't want to know. And I said, but I've had potentially have my money stolen and very close been shut down and are you not the watchdog and she said yes but you'll have to talk to the serious fraud office and I said well you can you not even take my name in case you need to contact me no she was quite uh, snooty to be honest so pointed me in the direction of the serious fraud office I rang them and they were quite helpful but they said it was early stages and just took my name basically and said like we're getting deluged with calls we'll get back to you when we sort some semblance of order out of all the mess that's David, my father-in-law, and having run up against brick wall after brick wall, he decided to go right to the source. I did actually try and contact him when I read about it on the ODT, and he wouldn't answer his phone. He just absolutely, media account disappeared, social media, everything was shut down. And in the end, I emailed his wife, because I knew they were on the road somewhere, because he told me. And I said to Lana, will you please tell Barry to ring me? He's got $500,000 of my retirement money can you tell me what he's done with it please and she came back and said I'm very sorry for everything my husband has done and I hope one day that he will be able to talk to you full stop and we thought then that he's stolen it I just thought oh here we go he's more or less apologizing for what he's done it's all over he has stolen it so you know it's sort of a confirmation if you like that Clue had cleaned us out. Can you imagine trying to wrap your head around the fact that a person you've known for almost four decades, and was considered a friend, could have taken what at the time David and Nolene believed to be approximately $650,000. $650,000 that they had worked all their life to save. It was interesting that when it happened, um, about a week before Barry had emailed me and said that he would be in the area and he may well bring his wife, Lana, across and uh, have lunch with us and catch up and say hi. And he decided against it because he ran out of time. But yeah, here he is, big mates. A week before he was shut down, he was going to come and say hi in our home. But David's relationship with Barry wasn't unique. Remember Richard Roberts, who Barry had chosen to come with him on the two-week golfing trip to Scotland. At the time, he received the news about his not-so-good friend Baz. He and his wife Louise had $180,000 invested with Barry. I was amazingly calm throughout all of this. Even now, I mean, I find it amazing because I do old grudges. 
I do hold grudges. I think they're very hard to get rid of, which is not a good trait. I think if you can forgive, I think it's an amazing trait to be able to do that. I can't. I find that really hard. But I've remained really calm throughout all this because, do you know what? I absolutely knew there was nothing that I could do. There was nothing that I could do to make this right or better. And Louise was spinning out. Man, she was not in a good place. It wasn't good. And and I'm just, you know, saying to Louise, listen, it is what it is. I'm looking at 180 grand, all my savings. And, I, and listen, I hate to talk about that. And I hate to talk about it because there are people that had a shitload more than that. And it meant a shitload more to them. And you know what? If I would have lost the, all the 180, it wouldn't have taken me down. It wouldn't have done anything to me. I'd have, kept, I'd have carried on and doing what I'm doing. And I would have just moved on. And I hate talking about that number because I know it's the other people. Like Dave, retired. And he takes him for about 650 or whatever. That's and I, and, I, and I just find that too hard because I always want to do the right thing. I just want to do the right thing. I just feel so sorry for them people. Really bad for them. When I knew what them other people were going through, I'd, it was nothing. It weren't going to take me under. Now, you would think that finding out if Barry Clue had stolen the investors' money would be pretty straightforward. Either the money is there, or it isn't, right? Well, Barry wasn't going to make it that easy. Because you cannot hide in plain sight for decades and decades without becoming the master of illusion. And with the SFO and the FMA sharing as much info as a Gregorian monk, each of the investors individually had to find their own answers. So David and Nolene had to go to the little information that they did have. And just what was that information? Remember Concilium, the online investment rat platform that Barry had used to keep all their assets in one place? On those Concilium statements from Barry, David and Nolene could see all the share account numbers and all the quantities. It seemed as good a place as any to start. It was time to let their fingers do the walking. So we sat down and we had about eight different entities on our statement. So, for instance, AMP was one of them. So I rang the AMP office, spoke to a very nice lady, gave her the code number and it was click, 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 click and we couldn't find anything under our name, couldn't find anything under the code number and she was quite shocked. She said, I I can't see how he's using these AMP numbers. She said, in fact, that number has never existed. She said it's very similar to numbers we use, so he must have been quite shrewd with that one. And David and Nolene aren't the only ones going through their concilium statements. Here's Gary, who instead of recovering from his recent lung operation, is also chasing the answers. I initially logged in and I could see everything there. Everything was there. And I thought, oh, even my accountant said to me, he said, Gary says your money's safe. He said, Barry Clue couldn't touch anything. And that's coming from my accountant. And we thought we were okay. But then we contacted my solicitor and she said, oh, Gary, she said, I think everything's gone. Just think about that. A man that Gary and Mary had known for 30 years. A man that only weeks before had listened to Gary tell him that his stage four cancer required yet another operation. That man had taken their lifetime of savings and made it completely disappear in a puff of smoke. And how much money was it? We had just on 660000 So it So it sort of taken all our money and left us with a $10,000 debt as well. Barry's house of 81 cards was collapsing and the aftershocks were to be devastating. We slowly 
Peel the onion and found that every investment that we thought we had didn't exist. Each time we rung one and they said, no, we didn't exist. And we think, well, surely, okay, the next one will exist. Oh my God, yes. We were so just gripping at straws, to be honest, just hoping that surely to God it couldn't all be gone. All, all those years that we put away, hoping that we have a decent sort of a retirement. Because when you get to this stage, we no longer have a wage. So there's no way of recouping all the money that has been stolen from us. So that was really quite debilitating and, as you can imagine, hit us like a, a car smash. And whether it was disbelief or hope, David and Nolene sought the help of the top forensic investigators in the country, hoping all was not lost. And he came back with a blank canvas as well. He's sorry, you're just absolutely nothing. He said the whole thing is just a house of cards, just a fraud on a grand scale. And we suddenly realised that, hey, we've been well and truly conned here. So what now? We thought he had a balance of just over $500,000 left with Concilium. But uh, unfortunately, as it turned out, it was all fictitious. In fact, the $500,000 was the cash value that David and Nolene had invested. But at the time of Barry's downfall, the forged statements showed they had approximately $650,000, money that they should have had if only they hadn't crossed paths with a con artist. The initial stress, you feel stupid or guilty or think, how could you let a guy like that take all your money? But you know, as I said, he certainly ticked all the boxes. That's a nice guy. Mr. Nice Guy, that's right. Fraud and shame. It's like death and taxes. It seems that you can't have one without the other, especially in a world that is trying to do a U-turn on victim shaming and so often failing miserably. Definitely one for Dr. Das to unpack. There is a lot of shame that you should have spotted it you should have reacted or seen some red flags yeah but in your experience how easy is that to spot i i think there are red flags when it comes to fraud but i think they are fallible and i think in this case possibly barry has managed to somehow sidestep all of them so again talking about financial advisors things like reviews so you've got to be suspicious if you look on a really pretty cleverly designed website, but there's not really any client reviews or there's quotes from people that can't be kind of checked. So no reviews, no evidence of testimonials, credible testimonials from previous clients. If there's no real substance to what they're saying. So I think if they talk really vaguely about terms, as opposed to, you know, this is your portfolio and these are the figures and this is what we invest in. That's what you want to see. You want to see some detail, even though when my financial advisor talks to me, I don't understand any of it. <laughs> At least sometimes they, <laughs> he's saying something. Yeah. Versus yeah. somebody that has these kind of, you know, vague, random statements. And I think basically a traceable history is always a, a a sign of a good investment. And also somebody who, yeah, connected to that. If there's a lot of moving around or a lot of vagueness or uncertainty, not just in their statements, but in their actual history, then that would be another yes. flag. And I suppose finally, if somebody's a bit too keen, you've got to wonder why. So if you've got somebody who's a financial advisor who claims to be able to give you an amazing return on your money you've got to ask why haven't how, why hasn't a lot of other people signed up and why is this person so keen to sign me up because surely if i'm getting you know 10 percent return within a year then surely everybody would be up for it so why are they so yeah get my business having said all of that i don't think barry actually 
use any of those tactics. So I think no. he's almost infallible. I don't see how anybody realistically could have known without the uh, benefit of hindsight, really. You know, it's a dark kind of irony that, in fact, the only person that should feel any shame in this story is the one person who most probably doesn't, Barry Clue. Now, I want to pick up on Karen Church's story. She'd just buried her husband, Chris, the day before, the day before the raid of Barry Clue's office. And instead of being able to grieve his loss, she was, in fact, facing an entirely new mountain to climb. We didn't have hardly any money in our bank. I was on my bereavement leave. My husband was dead. I was like, I actually don't know if I've got any money. On the Monday, I rang the platform and talked to the lady who'd been really helpful on the Friday. And she said that some of the assets, they were external assets. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And she said, they are assets that are elsewhere. And I said to her, what are they? And she explained to me. She gave me a couple of places to call to check whether these assets were actually true. And I called them and funnily enough, they weren't. That one little word external, that was the key to Barry's entire con. All I know is that the portfolio showed where your investments were, but the really important column that probably none of the investors knew was the internal, external, and that was crucial. That became real crucial at the end. When the pack of cards fell, the most important column on that sheet was whether it was internal or an external investment. Like David and so many of the investors, Karen's starting point had been her statements from Barry Clue showing just how much money she had in the Concilium platform. What I believed at the time that Chris died, there was like $900,000. This statement showed there was 600 and something. So even the statements seemed to be incorrect. Karen needed to go back one step further and look at her bank transactions to see actually how much money had they transferred to what they believed to be the Concilium platform over the years. After Chris died... I asked them to print out all the transactions and I said to them what had happened and they obviously knew what was going on because of course it had made the front page of the media and they printed it out and there was a page after page after page transactions and when they were printing it out they actually both looked physically ill and it had the name of the platform on it. As Karen gathered the pieces of Barry Clue's puzzle together she could finally see Chris's dying wish of leaving a legacy for his wife and their eight children was shattered. And look, and that would be the one thing that has always stuck with me, and I would say over and over and over again, is that I am so incredibly glad that Chris never knew. And at the end, Barry stole from Chris and I and from our family Without any interest or anything, just the total cash value, he stole $712,800. $712,800. Made up of Chris and Karen's retirement savings, their dream holiday fund, Chris's parents' inheritance, the trauma insurance payout, and if that all wasn't bad enough, it was the entirety of Chris's life insurance policy. Barry Clue had stolen Chris Church's entire legacy. Karen, well, she was left with trauma upon trauma. Her future suddenly looked very different, and she was not to be the only one. I remember when we first found out, I just had a, a major operation, and then we find out that we've lost our money. And 
I was going to a counsellor at the Cancer Society just to help me get over everything. And of course, with this on top, and I must admit, I went to some very dark places and I ended up getting medication from my doctor just to help me out, which I'm still on now. I just couldn't see a way out. I just felt trapped. I I just could see no end to it. And having $10,000 there that you had to find as well. I think reporter Hamish McNally said it best when he said, Barry Clue rapes people of their money. However, for Gary, Barry Clue robbed him of something arguably even more precious. Time. I retired, would be four years ago, and enjoyed maybe 18 months of retirement, but currently I'm back working full-time, and uh, I turn 70 next month. I know my two daughters just loathe the fact that I go out to work every day, and they, they get quite agitated that I'm still working when they know that I have a limited lifespan and I should be enjoying life and I I realize that but I always it's always in the back of my mind what happens how will Mary end up and and all this is going through your mind because you you haven't got that comfort of of having some money behind you something is creeping in don't follow it down up in the next episode of Clueless, The Long Con. There were many clues that he was getting desperate. Then it all started to open up. And he said it's to protect me and to protect you guys as well. Then he said, no, sorry, mate, it's all controlled through me. I just had this gut feeling and thought, what's going on? Not being satisfied with having already stolen 90% of the money, he then stole another 40,000. Don't forget to subscribe to Clueless, The Long Con, so you'll never miss an episode. This is an independently made podcast. You can find out more on Instagram at conmunitypodcast. That's con with an N. Please support the podcast with a five-star review, a share on social media, or even go old school and tell a mate on a dog walk to have a search for Clueless, The Long Con, wherever they listen to their podcasts. That's clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. love true crime podcasts then this is for you CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event is coming back to london on saturday the 11th and sunday the 12th of june 2022 and launching in glasgow on saturday the 10th of september 2022 get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths learn from leading criminologists hear from the families and survivors. Meet your favourite true crime podcasters, immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend, partnered by CBS Reality, the expert-led true crime TV channel. I will be at all crime cons this year, Las Vegas, Glasgow, London, you name it, I will be there. So do come and join us. Quote, see the C, that's C for con, the 
C for con for your special 10% discount. Limited tickets are on sale now. For more information, visit crimecon.co.uk. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now.